Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Today I want to talk about prayer. It's something, prayer is something that seems in a way kind of small and intimate and some might say even private. Some people might say, is this really the first message we should be giving to start a new decade? Like, should we, shouldn't we be talking about something a little more like grand, something a, a little bit bigger? Because if we're honest, right, we tend to think, many people tend to think that prayer is boring. Now, they're wrong. It's because we don't think of it right. We don't think of it correctly. What if I told you that prayer is the very foundation of who we are as human, mortal humans interacting with the God of the universe? Like prayer is the connecting point. What if I told you there's nothing more grand, there's nothing more global and even nothing more universal than prayer. Think about this. On Mount Athos, 2,000 meters above the Aegean Sea, big bearded Orthodox monks are praying as they have done for 1,800 years. About 11 miles north of Lagos, more than a million Nigerian Christians are gathering for a monthly prayer meeting at the vast campus of the redeemed Christian Church of God. On the banks of the river Ganges, Hindu pilgrims are plunging into the sacred water seeking cleansing and hope. Somewhere in Manhattan, a group of addicts are sitting in a circle in a 12-step program. They're seeking through prayer and meditation to improve their conscious contact with God. High in the Himalayas, a group of bells are chiming and ringing. Strings of colored prayer flags are dancing against the sapphire skies. Deep in the forests of giant redwood and Douglas fir on California's lost coast, there are nuns who are keeping vigil beside the Matolo River where salmon and steelhead swim. Did you know that one person in every four prays the Lord's Prayer each year on Easter Sunday? One person in every six bows towards Mecca up to five times a day. At the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, Hasidic Jews dressed in black rock to and fro in fervent prayer like aging goths at a silent disco. <laughs> Just to see if you were listening. 
in front of them, between the giant stones of Herod's temple, thousands of handwritten prayers are wedged like badly rolled cigarettes between the bricks. I've been at that wall. I've jammed a prayer into those cracks. Some say prayer is a small subject to start a decade. I say there's no other place we can start. Today, we begin a brand new series called How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people. It's based on the book of the same title by Pete Gregg. And that monologue I just shared with you is in this first chapter, and he's a pastor and a, a, one of the co-founders of the 24-7 movement around the world. And I encourage you to pick up this book because we'll be kind of going through it here over the next several weeks. And it's worth pausing when you start a series like this to acknowledge the unending chorus of human longing that exists. The human longing that desires to connect with God in some way, the cries, the sighs, the chiming bells, the, the muttering in maternity wards that goes on, the celestial oratorios, the scribbled graffiti on the walls of our urban centers. In the words of Abraham Heschel, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Here's what I want you to understand today as we embark on this series is to be human is to pray. To be human is to pray. I prayed when I held each of our five babies in the hospital. I prayed when work overwhelmed me and I knew I just couldn't cope. I prayed when my wife was driven away in an ambulance after a stroke. I prayed the first time I saw the northern lights. I prayed this morning about our time together here. Canadian psychologist David G. Benner describes prayer as the soul's native language, observing that our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. Are you guys still with me? When you think about prayer on the surface, it may seem like one of the simplest things in the world, like breathing in a moment of silence. It might be the cry of, uh, of someone for help. It, it might be the sigh of a disillusioned heart. Abraham Lincoln said this about prayer. He said, I've been driven many times upon my knees to the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go my own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. Yet even though I think most of us, we sense there's an importance about prayer, the reality is that prayer that can seem just like the most confusing thing and like even a futile exercise. Because is God even listening? Does prayer actually make a difference? Is there a formula that I need to use? Is there, there, there's, there's something, words I haven't found yet? The reality is that everyone,
praise. Rockstar David Grohl admits to praying desperately when his drummer Taylor Hawkins overdosed at England's Five Festival. I would talk to God out loud as I was walking, he recalls of the late night strolls back to the Kensington Royal Garden Hotel from the hospital where his friend lay in a coma. I'm not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was so frightened and heartbroken and confused. You see, from American presidents to rock stars in London, prayer has been this thing that most humans have been drawn to. And yet there's a mystery that seems so hard to unlock about prayer. A Sunday school teacher was asking the class, the kids in the class, if they knew how to pray. And Tommy immediately raised his hand and said, oh, that's easy. You, you just say, dear God, you talk to him for a few minutes, and then you say amen. And in a way, Tommy's right. I think sometimes we make prayer more, way more complicated than it needs to be. We complicate it in our minds. And so today, as we launch on this journey, I want you to take this journey with me into this new decade. I want you to take this journey over the next few weeks into this new year because not only are we spending this week, seek first, praying throughout the week, in the morning, in the evening, there'll be, um, uh, there's, div there's this devotional is sitting right on a chair near you. You can pick one up out in the lobby as well. Um, there, there's, there's a lot going to go on. There'll be online devotions as well. And so this week is a week where we redefine and reprioritize and refocus our lives for what's really important. But I also think that this new series, like, like if we treat this series right, if we, if we talk about this well, I think it can be a series that redefines and renews and reinvigorates your life with God himself. And so, over these next few weeks, I want to try to demystify the topic of prayer. So, if you, do, if, if you don't consider yourself a studied theologian, this series is for you. If you don't consider yourself a Jedi prayer warrior, this series is for you. All right? And even if you do fancy yourself as a Jedi prayer warrior, we will have prayer for humility after the service. <laughs> but if you'd still like to grow in your prayer life and go a bit deeper in your relationship with God, this series is what this is about. And I think it's going to be wild. It's going to be a wonderful journey of discovery for all of us. Now, in 2014... I went with some of our staff pastors, and we went backpacking. We went on a backpacking trip into the southern Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and we went to a place called the Wemenuchi Wilderness. And it's this huge, beautiful area, uh, mountain peaks. We hiked off trail. Everybody say off trail. Yeah, you didn't say it hard enough because it's hard. It's, that's a hard thing to do. We hiked off trail for eight days, 45 miles we walked with 45 pounds on our backs. It was one of the most challenging and invigorating experiences of my life, climbing thousands of feet up, twisting and turning across the terrain, maps and compass in hand, uh, cooking our own food when we would set up camp, sleeping out under the stars in a tent with some very, very bad snoring. 
At least that's what they told me. So <laughs> the hiking, I mean, it was just such a great thing. Up the Chicago Basin is so beautiful, approaching 11,000 feet above sea level. And we ended up setting up camp for a few days at a, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen on the planet called Turkey Lake. It's so incredible. I wanted to stay there. Some days were agonizingly long, one step in front of the other. There were nights that I didn't sleep, but most nights I was so tired I just conked. And I still long for the taste of the pepperoni quesadillas we made over an open fire after a long day of hiking. I don't know why those were so good, but I just couldn't get enough. It's one of my top memories of my life is this trip. So challenging and yet incredibly rewarding. And when I think about prayer, I think about those Rocky Mountains. When I think about prayer, I think about the terrain of hiking because prayer isn't a four-lane concrete highway. It's not Mopac. It's more like a complex living landscape with hills and valleys and mountain peaks. And I realize there are times when you need the fastest possible route to God. Like when you're driving and it rains in Austin and everything's like really slippery. And then you feel like you're going into oncoming traffic. You're like, help. Yeah, I get that. That's when you need the most direct communication possible. But there's more to prayer than that direct link. There are ways of praying that are more like exploring than imploring. More like exploring than imploring. So as you set out on the many paths of prayer that we're going to take in this journey, even though the terrain may feel unfamiliar to you, I want you to just lean in because Jesus has actually given us a guide, a map to take with us. It's the world's most famous prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. And I wonder if you might say it with me right now, because this is what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. Come on, would you join me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, Jesus gave us a pattern, a map, because his disciples asked, them, asked him to teach them to pray. This was his response to teach us how to pray. And over these next few weeks, we're going to break it down. The Lord's Prayer, as it turns out, this prayer map has kind of a four-step rhythm. And I'm not a big fan of, like, acronyms, but I think this one actually is really simple and really profound. And so this acronym we're going to use, we're going to break it down. I got it from Pete in this book. It's PRAY. Brilliant, right? <laughs> Pray, that's the acronym, P-R-A-Y. And I'm going to give you, I want you to write this down, what, it, what this acronym means. The first word, starting with a P, is pause. Pause. Because the most important thing you can do sometimes is just stop. It's the hardest thing to do, by the way. 
in our busy culture. And very often you have to stop before you can start. Rejoice is the next word. Rejoice because you have a long, loving, loving Heavenly Father, a, 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 an incredible being who wants to know you, created you, loves you, and really, 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 really likes you. Most of you don't believe that, but I want you to be open to the idea because you'll never enjoy prayer if you don't believe he likes you. Ask is the next question, or the next word, because it's one of the most powerful ways to humble yourself and admit that you need help. Ask. Finally, yield is the last word. Yield, because God's ways are so much better than ours. He wants to share his life with you and give you life beyond what you've ever known. These are the four sections in the Lord's Prayer. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. And we're going to kind of go through this over the next several weeks. So I want you to, I want you to see how, how big of a deal the Lord's Prayer is. The Archbishop Justin Welty said, the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. I think this is what Jesus was trying to do when the disciples asked him, teach us to pray. I think Jesus was just trying to take out all the religious overtones in prayer that were in, existent, in existence in that day. He was trying to cut through the pompous and seemingly spiritually elite attitude of the religious leaders of that time. And to make prayer become more like a breath that we breathe. Indeed, prayer is for the Christian as oxygen is for the human. You can't really live without it. Because just like those first disciples of Jesus, there are going to be days. There are going to be days where you wake up thinking, wait, is this really all there is to knowing the creator of 100 billion galaxies? There will be days where you read the book of Acts and, and ask, how come, this, how come this doesn't happen anymore? There'll be days where your world falls apart and you desperately need a miracle. There's days where you say to yourself, if this thing is true, there's got to be more power. There's got to be something more in this mystery, more actual experiences that, that I need to have. And so just like those first disciples of Jesus, you finally turn to God because you go through enough of those kind of days and you turn to the Lord and you say, teach me how to pray. And he replies, I thought you'd never ask. In his book, The Idols of the King, Alfred Lord Tennyson describes his revelation of prayer this way. He says, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. In the Message Bible, the Apostle James says it succinctly. Are you hurting? Pray. 
The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And you know, the older I get, the more I realize the importance of prayer. Really, the more I, I understand and I wish that I would have been better at prayer throughout my life that I would have mined for the meaning and the mystery of prayer in a greater way. So as we launch into this series, as we step into Seek First Week, I want to give you just some really good advice about how to approach prayer, and then next week we'll kind of dig in on the Lord's Prayer. And there's three simple ideas. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. Number one, keep it simple. Jesus actually warns us quite specifically against getting overcomplicated in prayer. And he does it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And I'm going to read it from the message translation, which is this modern day translation. It'll be on the screens. I want you to read it with me. It says, and when you come before God, Jesus says, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? He was talking about the religious leaders of his day that got a lot of mileage out of praying publicly. Verse 6, he says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant they're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. And with a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. And then Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible, translated it. He says, this is the Lord's prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us from forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Verse 14, Jesus says in prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Prayer is this mysterious connection between what God's doing and what we're doing. And I think that's where the challenge is. When you think about it, there are very few rules for Christians about prayer. I want you to think about this for a second. When it comes to prayer, you can pray in the shower. It's one of my favorite places to pray. Some about vulnerability, I don't know what that is. Let's move on. You can pray while you're driving. Do not close your eyes. You're not required to close your eyes, you're, or you're not required to adopt a particular posture or to dress in a certain way or to have some kind of ritualistic thing happening. You, you don't have to use a fixed amount of words or, or something that's so specific so that God will hear you. 
Because of Jesus, God is present by his spirit. God's presence is freely available to every person on the planet, anytime, any place. He hears them. He sees them. He knows them. And so that's why God invites you to pray simply, directly, and truthfully in the full and wonderful weirdness that is the way he created you. Come on, don't look at me like you're not weird. We all have these unique designs, and so take a walk in the rain to pray. Write prayers on the soles of your shoes if you want to. Sing the blues and pray. Go ahead and rap. It'll work. Write Petrarchan sonnets if you must. Sit in silence on the shores of Town Lake. Go for a run until you sense God's smile. Throw yourself down a water slide yelling hallelujah if that's honestly your thing. But never, never, never complicate prayer with empty religious verbiage or thinking that you need a theology degree to understand it. The Native American pastor Richard Twist says it this way. He says, I pray all the time. My prayers are not only talking to God, they're questions. They're dialogue. They're the burning of sage and incense. When I'm dancing in the powwow, every step is a prayer. I dance my prayers for the people. Sometimes I imagine my prayers. I fantasize my prayers. They're not always audible. So number one, keep it simple. Number two, keep it real. Keep it real. The, the author, Anne Lamott, wrote a refreshingly irreverent book that I just think is so great. The title is so amazing. Here it is. It's called Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. And she, she kind of makes the argument that these three words are the only prayers you'll ever need. And whether or not that's really true, uh, what, I, what she's making is a case for radical honesty in prayer. And I think it's interesting that so many of us feel that we can't be honest with God somehow when it comes to prayer. Or that we have to put on some religious front or we have to clean up our prayers somehow with God. But I think when you're being painfully honest and you're being uncensored, that's a good word. Everybody say it, uncensored. When you're uncensored before God, I think you're actually closer to God than ever before. If you say to God, I'm exhausted and I'm depressed beyond words and I don't like you at all right now. And I don't want to go to church and be around those stupid people who say they believe in you. When you talk like that, I think he actually draws near to you. Psalm 55, 17 says, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. (laughs) That's a lot of complaining and murmuring. I feel like this verse is about my kids. Ooh, sorry. Sorry, Owen. But he's a loving father. He listens. Thomas Merton, a 20th century Trappist monk, said it this way. He said, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. For some reason, I think we forget how real and honest and how gut-level the characters of the Scriptures 
The men and women of the Bible actually were before God. One of the Bible's greatest patriarchs, Jacob, he wrestled with God in a night of prayer, and it was so violent that he was wounded for the rest of his life. He couldn't walk straight. Moses whined to God a lot about the very people God had called him to lead. If you look at it in Numbers 11, 11, it says, Moses says, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? <laughs> did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? <laughs> it's pretty honest. Might have heard my wife praying that prayer one time. The prophet Jeremiah ranted at God when he said, Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. I remember for myself a Sunday morning about three and a half years ago. We were getting ready, Amy and I, and as she was getting ready, she had woken up not feeling well, and she just kind of couldn't get herself together, and then she realized something, something's really off, something's really wrong, and then suddenly she couldn't speak. And so there was this, I think, moment, you know, she's doing her hair. <laughs> she's drying her hair. She was trying to dry her hair so she could drive herself to the ER is what was happening because she didn't want to bother me because I had a message, you know, to speak later that day. It was Sunday morning. So she blurts out, she gets out, Ross, something's wrong. And I hear it. I can tell by the tremble in her voice, something, oh, something's wrong. And I say, what's, what's going on? Silence. I said, babe, what's, what's, what's wrong? And she finally could get it blurted out. Can't talk. And then I freaked out. And when she said that, I just went over and I put my hands on her and I just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Lord, whatever this is, whatever's going on, would you just touch her right now? I prayed in tongues. I prayed in English. I prayed in some other languages, I'm sure. And, and, and I just, I mean, I kind of went for it. It was honest. It was scared. It was raw. It was desperate. For the next two years, we went through doctor appointment after doctor appointment trying to figure out what had happened. You know, she, she ended up not having any lingering symptoms from that thing. But the doctor did say at one point, he said, you know, there was an episode, we can see it on the scan, on the MRI, something did happen, and then for some reason it just stopped. I think I might know that reason. I spent many nights, to be honest, looking over at her, you know, before we'd go to bed and wondering if she'd wake up okay. I prayed a lot of honest prayers those two years. She is the most important person in my life. 
Sometimes when you realize how fragile life is, you just see everything a lot differently. I think you pray differently. I think you pray the right way, the real way, the real way, the honest way. She doesn't have any symptoms except for occasionally when we're arguing, she, when she's losing an argument with me, she'll say, I have brain damage. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, in his book, Letters to Malcolm, he says it this way. He says, what seem our worst prayers may really be in God's eyes our best. Those, I mean, which are least supported by devotional feeling." These perhaps come from a deeper level than feeling. God sometimes seems to speak to us most intimately when he catches us, as it were, off our guard. So keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Finally, you've got to keep it up because life is tough, because the battle is fierce, because God is not an algorithm. The journey of faith demands a certain like intensity and conviction in all of us. And I think we have to carry that conviction into the realm of prayer. Luke 18, 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Why did Jesus say you should always pray and don't give up? Why did he say that? Because we give up. I mean, you know. You have disappointments. You have heartaches over delayed or unanswered prayers. It's hard. It's challenging. See, it's easy to lose heart. It's so tempting to give up when our prayers don't seem to be working. It's so tempting to just let go. And that's why Jesus was saying that we need to always pray and never give up. Frank Laubach, who was an early 20th century missionary and educationalist, created a literacy program that's taught more than 60 million people to read in their native language. He compared praying to throwing rocks in a swamp. He says, each rock sinks without trace. The exercise seems pointless. But keep going long enough, keep throwing those rocks, and the swamp will eventually be filled. One day, a rock will be thrown that will not sink. Solid ground will begin to appear. That's it. Such an insightful idea. See, we may pray the same thing over and over again. We may pray a hundred times before, but then there'll be a moment when suddenly the breakthrough occurs the miracle happens, and it's not that we finally found the right formula for prayer. It's that we didn't give up. I found that one of the most important keys to keeping it up in prayer, throwing those rocks into the swamp, is to develop a dis discipline of a daily quiet time. I don't quiet, call it a quiet time because if it's quiet time for me, it turns into sleep time. So I... <laughs> I have to have a loud time. <laughs> but but the reason people call it a quiet time because Jesus invited his friends to come to a quiet place with him and get some rest. And as someone who struggles with all kinds of self-discipline, like I, I seem like I can't go to the gym consistently. I, I never really decline the chocolate cookie. I, 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 I don't 
go to bed before midnight way too often. I, 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 I mean, there's all kinds of things that I'm struggling with to, from brushing my teeth to even regular times of prayer. There, I said it. The pastor struggles with regular times of prayer. I hesitate to put on you any rigid format or a particular routine. I, I don't want to put anything heavy or unsustainable as you seek to grow in prayer. But here is the great and inescapable truth taught in Scripture, modeled by Jesus, and advocated without exception by all the heroes of our faith. Here it is. You cannot grow in prayer without some measure of effort and discomfort. Self-discipline and self-denial. So you, you get it, right? Just as you cannot physically get fit without regular exercise and a healthy diet, so your spiritual life, your spiritual growth will be determined to a very significant extent by the prayer exercises you choose or do not choose. When Amy and I first fell in love, we were embarrassingly obsessed with each other. We would talk for hours on the phone. There was nothing we couldn't talk about. We loved each other's company. The mention of Amy's name always made my heart kind of flutter, skip a beat. We never had to plan date nights early on in our relationship because we were together all the time. And we've now been married for more than a quarter of a century, 27 and a half years. It's pretty good. Let's just, so here's, here's, here's what I want you to see. Let's just say it's no longer quite as intense as it used to be, right? If the mention, think about it, if the mention of Amy's name were to causing my heart to skip beats, I'd be dead all this time, right? Like, <laughs> so without the, without this, like, but here's the truth. Without the discipline of scheduled date nights, we could quite easily go weeks without talking deeply or, 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 or without like investing in any form of romance. And, you know, I'm sure some young couples are out there and they're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, they look at us and say, oh, let's not ever be like Ross and Amy. <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's make sure that our relationship is always wild and spontaneous and, and let's never get to the place where we become so boring and predictable that we have to like schedule romance. Have some kids. You'll have to schedule the romance. <laughs> but, here's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Amy and I have a relationship today that is more fulfilling than anything we could have conceived of early on in our relationship. Anything we could have understood in the first days of that enthusiastic infatuation. But it's been the discipline of effective communication, of frequent date nights, of apologizing regularly and sharing our honest feelings that's kept our love not only alive, but growing and even deeper through the years. No one is designed to live at a peak of emotional intensity for years on end. It wouldn't be healthy. In fact, it's not sustainable and it's not real. Delight without discipline eventually, inevitably, dissipates. 
right? It runs out of steam. But here's what I want you to get before you go today. When delight and discipline learn to dance, relationships thrive. When delight and discipline learn to dance, relationships thrive. They mature, they endure, they get deeper, they get stronger. Amy and I may no longer be that young couple in love leaking hormones like diesel fumes. But thanks to, the, thanks to the holy habits we have maintained together over many years, we're now a quarter century closer to becoming that wrinkly old couple walking down the street hand in hand because we love each other so deeply. So, and it, just as an enduring marriage must be built on consistent rhythms, everybody say rhythms, and routines, Thank you. So to our relationship with God, like it has to survive. In actuality, it thrives only through disciplines such as Bible study and fellowship and confession and worship and prayer and community. Others, Otherwise, says Eugene Peterson, we're at the mercy of glands and weather. And neither one of them have very much mercy. So as we finish today, I want you to think about that. Think about your routines. Think about your rhythms. Think about starting this decade. Think about starting this year the way that you want to be known, the way that you want to discover God himself. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.